102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Alyssa Dever the CEO and co-founder of American Confidence Institute, which shares science-based ways to increase personal, academic, and professional confidence. We will be talking about how she sees confidence as a choice we make. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Alyssa. I am so excited to be here with you today, Kelly. Thank you so much. Can you talk about your quest to understand confidence? Absolutely. Well, I think everyone would be surprised to know that I'm not a psychologist or a doctor in this field and fell into it accidentally as a result of a crisis in my life. My son, who is now 21, about 12 years ago, was diagnosed with a neurological condition. And the very short form of the story was a series of events that basically were fueled by my motivation as a mom to figure stuff out because the doctors were telling me things that didn't make sense. And they were doing things in treatments and things that were so uh, destructive that I just couldn't stand by and witness it. Went on a a rampage, really, to figure it out, read um, every possible research report I could get my hands on. I talked to doctors around the world and started putting the pieces together. And when I started to really figure out uh, more about how the brain worked so I could help my son, started realizing that all the work I had been doing professionally as a marketer, as somebody who just was really interested in the science of confidence, started to put it all together, set it to not only the doctors and to validate, but then started to take it into the business community and to friends and family. And from there on, it became this kind of, oh, my God, you got to share this with the world and built the American Confidence Institute as a result of that. And what did you find out in your research about confidence? A lot of things we found out, and now it's surprising two things that fell out of it for me was first and foremost, most people don't get taught confidence. And as a result, when we measure confidence, it's not until we're 60, 60 years old, that we actually become our most confidence best. And that to me was preposterous. Like, how could that be, right? So that was like one shocker. And the second shocker was, we don't get taught what it is and how to do it. But yet we can learn how to do it. And it's a very simple a concept in that we don't realize that we can actually choose to be confident. And a lot of people will mislabel things like you feel confident or how confident are you? And the reality is that confidence at the core of it, definitionally and neurologically, is a decision. It's a choice. And so I I joke with people, it's kind of like being pregnant. You either are pregnant or you're not. You're either confident or you're not. But again, because we don't get taught what it is, how can we be something when we don't really understand it? You talk about how we don't become confident until we're 60 or close to retirement. Why is that? Very simply, not only aren't we taught it, we're taught it in, in in bad, misleading ways. In some ways, we're lied to. We have... Lots of stories, movies and allegories and children's stories and so forth, where we're told to work harder, work harder, work harder. And if you work hard, 
your success will come, your confidence will build. And I think most of us, myself included, oftentimes the harder you work, the less confident you become because you get frustrated and you're like, after all this, I should be confident and you're not. So that's just wrong. We get motivational speakers, self-help books, all this other content that tells us, you know, if somebody else did it, then we can do it, you know, just do it or just be confident. And that doesn't work that way. You don't get inspired to be confident. That's also kind of a, a mislead. And then, you know, unfortunately, we have a lot of people out there saying, fake it till you make it. And I prove over and over again in workshops that you can't fake it. Confidence is, is not something that you can kind of put on an act. And so subsequently, again, we're kind of misled, not kind of, we're very misled about what confidence is, what it looks like, and how to develop it. So we go through our lives and we're trying figuring this out, this quest. We all are on this quest to feel more confident. It's like an, a natural direction for us. And yet it takes us 60 years to realize one very simple thing. And again, tying it back to brain science, we have an absolute need, um, Abraham Maslow back in his 1940s clinical work on the hierarchy of needs, smiling from where he is right now, we have a fundamental need to fit in, to belong, to know that people think that we matter, and to actually know that we have a purpose, right? And so by that time we're 60, we finally realize that that, that purpose, that answer, has nothing to do with other people. It's what we value inside ourselves as kind of who he is at sounds, by the time we're 60, we finally let go of that. We finally say, you know what, I don't care as much, if at all, what other people think. Um, what I care about is what I care about, and I'm going to live according to what I value. But it takes us 60 years to unravel that, that maze of mis misleading information that we get, and we finally land in that place. And, and when we interviewed people who are in their 60s, they giggle about it. They're like, you know, all those years... Um, you read all these books about what do you wish when you were younger, you know, what, what, what's the one thing you wish you knew you would have known when you were younger, and, and it's consistent. I wish I knew that all that other stuff just didn't matter. What matters is what, what's in my, in my heart and in my head, and if I live according to that, um, I can be my, my confident best. It sounds like you just distilled the essence of confidence, which is don't worry about what other people are thinking. When you get to the point that you don't care, it's when you just focus on what's important to you, and that's where your confidence is going to come from. Absolutely. I mean, that's the core of it. It really is the heart and soul of it. What's interesting well, that I read that you don't believe confidence is inherited, learned, or faked. And it's interesting how fake it until you make it from Amy Cuddy is such a catchphrase now about confidence. It is. It's a little frustrating. I, I do adore Amy Cuddy's work. She's, you know, one of the uh, heroes in this space in terms of explaining how you can literally chemically trigger the uh, neurotransmission in your body that makes your brain feel really good and positive and confident through her power poses and so forth. She does some really, really important work. But the fake it till you make it, here's the problem. When you're faking it, everybody else can see it. You know, they see it in your body language. They see it in your eyes. You know it, and as much as you might think you're an Oscar-winning performer, none of us are, not even the Oscar-winning performers. They can't fake confidence. Needless to say, you might do it a few times, and through that practice, you go, oh, you know, I did it. I, I feel good about it. I survived, you know, whatever it is. People, I do a lot of presentation coaching for people, and to the 10th presentation, you do become a little bit 
numb to the fact that oh, I did this, I didn't die last time I was on stage, I can do this. Okay, that's good. So the practice element of that is is valid. However, I, I do fundamentally believe with every uh, neuron in my body that, that confidence isn't a result. It doesn't happen after the fact. It's something that you need to feed into the success formula as a requirement. And when you change your mindset about that and you work on your confidence first, then you don't have to fake anything. But what if you were bullied, abused, or your parents told you that you weren't good enough when you were growing up? How do you recover from this lack of self-confidence that has been ingrained with a lot of emotional charge into you over time? It's a really big question and, a, and a, an astute observation. Look, you know what? Trauma, true, full-blown trauma, has some real significant neurological, biological impacts in behavior and in the brain, right? And, and that is not my, my place to really delve deep into that. I will say, though, that it doesn't have to take a major trauma like that to chisel away your confidence, right? You, you could have a layoff, a divorce, somebody who sends you a nasty email, um, somebody who uh, just literally cuts you off on the highway. Like there's a, a thousand things that happen every single day that are these micro traumas that really chip away at our confidence. And what consistently surprises me is when people will come up to me after um, a keynote or some other thing and they'll say, you know, I, I, I don't even, I don't even feel good going to a meeting anymore. You know, I'm afraid to say something because somebody's going to cut me off, so to speak, in the meeting. They get talked over or somebody else in the room um, has to be a smarter person than they are. We call it smartest person in the room. And if you look at the commonality, again, of these traumas, micro and macro, there's an element of bullying, right? There is somebody that is trying to take another person's confidence for their own gain, that's the clinical definition of a bully, right? And so if you look at those people who are doing those things or even the situations themselves, right, as bullying situations where there are, they're trying to take away your confidence so they can feel better about themselves, you start to pity those people. And again, I don't want to trivialize some of the scenarios you painted because those are really serious and they, they're outside the scope of kind of basic everyday micro traumas. But if you're in a meeting and somebody is one-upping you or you're having a debate with somebody who doesn't want to let you even put your two cents in, rather than take the position of the victim, turn it around and be like, oh, that poor person, they're going through a confidence crisis. And because they're suffocating right now. They need my air. They need my confidence to make themselves feel better. And so you stop yourself in that minute from not just being a victim, but also recognizing that they're not really trying to put you down. They're just trying to put themselves higher. Do you reframe it as it's not about you, it's about them and what they're trying to do? You got it. And trying to dominate the situation. How do you defeat doubt and uncertainty, though? Because you are always going to feel that, right? Well, maybe. (laughs) Uh, You know, maybe. I I think doubt and uncertainty, just like stress and fear, are actually signals. That's not right. And right, the word right, you know, it's kind of a loaded word there. But there's something that is violating a value of ours. So if you're doubting 
that you're able to do something or want to do something, it's probably because you, you didn't prepare properly or you don't feel that you have something that you need to do that thing. It's a signal. It's a, it's, it's a way of letting your brain know, hey, you know what? I need to sit back and think about this for a second before I dive in. Or maybe I really need to do X, Y, Z before I do this. Okay, fine. It also might be calling your bluff. You know what? Knock it off. You really are prepared. You can do this. So it's a signal to let you know that something's going on that you need to kind of pay attention to, think it through, even if it's for a few seconds, because your brain is saying, time out. Now, what we normally do with those signals is one of two things, Kelly, and it's really, it's kind of going to sound almost crazy on some levels, but everyone's going to go, uh-huh, 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 which is when we get those signals normally, path one is we panic, right? And we panic. We go, oh, no, can't do it, can't do it, I'm not, not going to do it. And we go into what I call cave person mode. We, we go into survival mode. It's part of our brain, the brainstem that grabs it and says, we got to protect ourselves. So what do we do? We get defensive or aggressive or shy. Those are all survival behaviors. That's option number one. Another option is to grab it, like I said, and get more proactive, prepared, put it up in the prefrontal of our brain and say, look, you know what? Let's just do a check on this. There's a signal here I need to pay attention to. And that's the choice I referred to before. We can make that choice, but only if we're paying attention. Now, here's where it gets really crazy. If we don't pay attention and we act like, hey, people, we probably will regret it later. But here's what else happens. We create stress. We create stress. And that stress actually doesn't just manifest in our behavior. Sometimes it manifests in our bodies. We get sore necks and knees and backs. And a lot of times, a lot of doctors will say it's because you're ignoring the signal. So if we start paying attention to that signal that my co-founder um, of the Confidence Institute, she used to call it that itchy feeling, that moment where you have that self-doubt or uncertainty and you're like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. You pay attention to that and you say, let me figure out what, why do I not feel comfortable? What is it that my brain is telling me to pay attention to? What you're saying is be able to identify it and then figure out how you're going to solve it. And that will then get you to over to the confidence mindset. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you say solve, sometimes you can't solve everything, right? You may not be able to prepare more. You may not have all the information you want to have. Look, we're recording right now. We're still in the middle of this COVID uncertainty. We don't know if and when, how <laughs> it's all going to go away, right? There is an uncertainty about it, but there is a certainty that we have that we have to still live our lives and we should you know, live them according to our values. So if you wake up and you're, you're like, hmm, what am I going to do today? And you say to yourself, oh, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, so I'm going to give up. That's just dumb. I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but that's just dumb because, you know, today's today. We still live with a lot of uncertainty on lots of levels, not just COVID, but that doesn't give us an excuse to not make a decision about what's important to us and move forward as much as we can within the confines of what we can control, Right. You have said that confidence is not a state of mind or feeling, as most people believe, and that's about a certainty of truth tied to something. Can you talk about how you came to this construct and how it works? Yeah, of course. Thank you. So definitionally, you know, open up any kind of dictionary online or otherwise, and the definition of confidence is a certainty of the truth. Now, 
It could be the truth of, you know, the weather. Is it going to rain today? It could be about the upcoming political election in the U.S., right? It could be certainty about any truth that you say yes or no, I feel confident or not. Now, what the dictionaries don't do a good job is is illustrating the fact that you're never 100% confident about anything. There is always a margin of variance, deviation, possibility that you could be wrong. We live with that in the scientific world. And yet we don't realize that even if we're trying to predict the weather, the, the election, whatever it might be, there could be some incorrectness in that. So the definition that I use is the certainty enough about the truth. And so your question points at, well, that's great, but what does that mean when we talk about ourselves being confident? And it goes back to certain enough about what we value. And, you know, kind of corollary to that is what we want and what we need. And when we're certain enough that this is important to us, we want this, we need this, we fuel our motivation, we fuel our persistence, it's because we feel confident that we are confident that we've made a decision that it's important that we do it, that it's important that we follow it, that we behave according to it. So it sets up, if you think of it this way, when we're very clear about what we value, what we need, what we want, we give ourselves rules, boundaries, and we say, to, if that's something I really value, need, or want, then I'm going to act on it. I'm going to behave according to those rules. If it's outside of those things, so for example, if somebody asks me to, let's just say, do something work-wise on the weekend, and I value my weekends because I want to spend time with my family and do other things, I'm not going to feel so confident about doing that, accepting that, yes, I'm going to do that for you this weekend because it's outside that rule book. What you're saying is that certainty of your values is the underlying foundation of confidence. And when people go against this, they feel uncomfortable. But it takes experience, right? I mean, by the time you're 60, you're like, I definitely don't want this. I definitely want that. I know what I want because I've gone through enough experiences to get there. It was very well put. Absolutely. And that's, you know, again, it goes back to this is what I value. If you don't, that's good for you. You do you. I'm doing me. And so we finally figure out it's okay. Confidence is something that you don't create or build. Well, you can create and build it in the sense that, again, from a brain science perspective, we have to train our brains. We have to direct that choice and build the neural pathway so that when we get confronted with a decision, we can quickly and easily and comfortably direct that to the top of our brain, the better, the frontal part of our brain, right? So again, technically, we are building a new neural pathway and we are strengthening that neural pathway so that we don't let the old scripts, the old thoughts, the old self-doubt get in the way and it becomes a default behavior. I'll give you um, some simpler way to think about it. If you are learning to play golf, you go and you swing and you swing and you swing and you, hopefully you're swinging properly and you get good instruction, you swing, 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 and eventually you get something that athletes would call muscle memory. You don't have to think about it. You just, it's automatic. Well, it's the same thing. I call it memory muscle, is that you develop the decision-making pattern so that you go, well, of course I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to get on stage and present. Of course I'm going to go 
do this thing that in the past used to make me nervous. And so that memory muscle develops to a point where you don't have to think about it. And then you don't doubt yourself. You don't have that moment of mm, uncomfort or lack of certainty because you've already built that muscle and you're like, you know, I'm good with this. I can do this. So part of what confidence is, is really about how we process information. Yeah. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to build what's going to help you be confident through whether it's muscle memory or practices that's going to get you there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, you asked me before about fake it till you make it. So if we look at practicing confidence in a positive light, right, that I'm doing this. So again, I'll use presentation because as we know, statistically, most people would rather die than give a presentation, right? So it really freaks people out, makes them very uncomfortable, very uncertain about their ability. So if you're one of those people and you're saying to yourself, I'm going to give a presentation and I'm going to fake it, you're on the wrong path. Your brain knows what you're doing. You're not building a neural pathway that says you can do this. If you get on stage and you say, this is not something I'm comfortable or it's something I do a lot, but I'm doing it so I can start to build that pathway so I feel more comfortable you will build that very fast. And you, you, t- you really have to not so much fake your brain, but train your brain and say, put it in parallel with athletics. If you want to run a marathon, you're not going to run 30 miles the first day, but you're going to start running. You say, today I'm going to do 10 miles, the next day I'm going to do 20 miles. You build up, but you keep practicing it in a way that says, that's where I'm going. But even Olympic athletes choke after all that practice, Right. Yeah, they can. They absolutely can. Now, if you look at Olympic athletes, you look at professional athletes, they often do work with coaches that are confidence coaches specifically. They're helping them to really clear the noise of all the other stuff that's coming out. And here's, unfortunately, what life is like, even before social media, right? You have all these people and things that are going to tell you you're not as good as you want to be. They want to tell you, you know, social media is a killer. I, 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 um, I love social media for a lot of reasons, but to be honest with you, you know, you have to have a really tough skin to get on social media and leave Facebook or leave Instagram and say to yourself, I'm as good as everyone else, right? It's hard. Everyone's posting all this great stuff. You think, oh, my God, they're so cool and I'm so not. That's not the case. But we live in this world where we're always like, I'm never good enough. There's that word again, enough. So those confidence coaches, Olympic and, and professional athletes have on the sidelines, watch the Super Bowl, watch anything. You're going to see those coaches on the sideline. They're there to clear that mental pollution, that cognitive noise that's telling the athletes, no, you can't. You know what? In order for them to get to their best, they actually do these same exercises. Everything we teach at the Institute is rooted in that professional Olympic athlete coaching that methodology of high performance training, because you can be very competent, you can be very practiced. But if you're not practicing the confidence stuff, when you get there, you're right, you're going to choke. You have said that the most important skill you should focus on each day is confidence. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> why? Why? You know, compared to empathy, compared to kindness. Well, you know, we could we could literally do a word association here. You know, kindness is lovely, but it's not always very helpful to yourself or the people, right? And confidence is not just empowering for you. It actually empowers everyone around you. And I'm talking about genuine confidence, not, again, fake confidence or arrogance or overconfidence, but genuine confidence. Because when people feel safe, when they feel that you are 
present with them, when you are making them feel that they, again, belong, that gift is the greatest thing you can give anyone. You know, this is my life's mission. This is this is why I pivoted from a very successful career as a marketing executive. If I can give confidence to anyone through your podcast, through my daily interactions, it doesn't matter who it is, then I have done a good day's work. That is why we're on this planet. That is everybody's purpose. So waking up with that intention, not only to make myself feel confident, but more importantly, get that confidence by giving it to somebody else. What are the daily practices that we can build upon to feel this sense of confidence consistently? Tuning into the stress and the fear signals that are they're everywhere around us, but you know what, instead of fighting with them is to utilize them in a positive way. And when you do feel like you're a little bit nervous in your skin, so to speak, or you just feel uncomfortable is to breathe, which is over, it kind of hijacks your amygdala. And that's the part of our brain that is taking that signal and deciding, does it want to go down into the caveman brainstem or up into the prefrontal brilliant confident area? So breathing is a really easy, simple thing to be like, settle down. What are we going to do? So that's right there. First, easy, no, no effort kind of tip. Number one, number two is to back to know thyself, right? Understand, really get into the core of your values. And when you understand what is important to you as a person, uh, that's your guidebook. That's your director. That's your, you know, directory that, that, that is much, much more valuable than any resolution or transformation that you want to do, because when you live according to your values, everything gets easier. Now, it's easier said than done, I realize that, but there are some exercises that we do with the Institute. There's all kinds of tools and, and uh, methods out there to understand who you are and what you value. The easiest one that I often use with people is to think about if somebody was going to give a eulogy about you, what do you want them to say? And it sounds depressing, my friend, but let me tell you, when you start to read your own eulogy and you start to realize it's not going to say she was a great podcaster, it's not going to say that, you know, she was really kind. It's going to say things like she was particularly generous and she gave people her time. She helped elevate people's spirit through her work, right? So there are all these value statements buried in those that um, in those sentences that start to pop off the page. And when you look at those, not only does it build your confidence, but it, again, it gives you those boundaries, those guidelines, those rules to decide what you want to do or not for the rest of the day. It's amazing. The third is the easiest of all of them is to go out of your way to make somebody else matter every day. Just tell somebody that you care about them, tell them that they matter, that their presence on the planet is appreciated. And when you give somebody confidence, it is the quickest, strongest, most beautiful way to get it for yourself. I understand that you are putting these practices into companies that you work with and in the academic world. Are they also similar in in terms of how you're applying these concepts or do they evolve a bit in those environments? I think confidence has also always has to be contextual. And what I mean by that is if I were in a business, we would be talking about some of the bully behaviors and and scenarios that challenge confidence in the business context. If I'm talking to college kids versus elementary kids, or I go to speak to some kind of other association, 
you know, there are scenarios and situations that are specific to those groups, right? So that certainly changes. It should be taught to us much younger. My husband is a fifth grade teacher and, you know, they're teaching soft skills now, social skills, big comeback in, in in the academic world about teaching people how to be, whether it's emotionally intelligent or more aware of themselves with all the different assessments that are out there. It's all good. It really all is all good. But at the end of the day, when we understand how to really control our brain, control our mindset, get more um, control of our thoughts, get more control of our values, those all come out in the form of behaviors and how we act, how we react, and actually interact with other people. Um, when we have a better, I say control, I know control is sometimes a negative word, but when we are more aligned with our values in that sense of control, we can be truly confident individuals. And boy, does the world need more confidence right now. I completely agree. Well, thank you for sharing your confidence construct that has worked for many people. And thank you for joining me on Spark today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much.